During today's episode, we will be speaking with Dr. Christine Coutois. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So let's go ahead and get started um, by you sharing with us a little bit about who you are. Okay. Um, Well, I am um, a person uh, who lives at the beach currently. Mm. Um, After having um, semi-retired, I'm a psychologist who's been in private practice in Washington, D.C. for the last 35 years. And I closed my practice about four years ago and move permanently to the beach, which makes me very happy. That's my self-care. That's my self-care. And um, I uh, am now working primarily as a trainer and consultant. Um, And also I'm doing a lot of writing and editing. Um, And the primary topic I've been talking about recently is complex forms of trauma and complex aftermath and complex treatment. Um, so it, it keeps me busy half time and the rest of the time, um, I've been COVID quarantined like everybody else. And, um, I've gotten into gardening because I'm not traveling as much anymore. (laughs) Um, I'm home to water the plants. Um, I hear gardening is hard work. It is. It's surprisingly, (laughs) Mm. I'm not growing, um, food. I'm just growing flowers. So I'm very much enjoying, um, seeing the flowers that are coming up. Okay. Okay. So you already, um, you already answered this a little bit. Um, but if there's anything else you want to add, um, about what you do. Oh, sure. I can add a whole lot of things. Um, you want to know about what I've done in the past or what I'm doing presently? Either or okay. it might be helpful for you to tell us a little bit about what you did in the past and then also um, share a little bit about what you're doing now with complex trauma, with the books that you've been editing. Okay. Um, I started my career um, in graduate school in 1971 and I put myself through graduate school like a lot of people by being a residence hall um, advisor and then a director. And it was pretty interesting um, and tragic because the first thing that, almost the first thing that happened to me is I got traumatized um, because um, those were the days of the, the um, war demonstrations and lots of agitation mm. in society. And first of all, we had uh, protesters on my campus at the University of Maryland, many of whom stayed in our dorms when they were down protesting in D.C., um, that wasn't so traumatic, but it was really interesting. But a couple of times we did get gassed uh, because the National Guard was there. And of course, Kent, oh, wow. Kent, all the students. Yes. And of course, Kent State had happened. So, you know, everybody was sort of on alert. But the, the traumatization that I experienced was um, we had a series of kidnappings and gang rapes um, on campus, which had never happened before. And one of them happened to one of my staff members. So I got to see it up up front and personal. And then can you can you say that? Can you say that part again? Um, Something glitched in the sound. Oh, okay. Um, We had a series of kidnapping gang rapes from the campus. And I, I got to see it up front and personal because one of the people who was kidnapped was uh, one of my staff members. So I knew nothing about um, rape or sexual assault at the time, 
I don't even think I knew the, the word. And um, I learned really quickly what happened and what the consequences were. And um, um, subsequent to that, we also, in my dormitory, had um, the first of many um, copycat suicides that occurred on campus. And I got wow. totally exposed to that. So um, between the two, I was really caught up in you know, crisis and crisis management and, and trauma. And those were the days when um, rape crisis centers were just beginning. And also when, um, you know, there was recognition of what was going on with Vietnam and, and the returning um, soldiers and women's rights. And there was all, there were all kinds of things going on. And um, the second year that I was in the dormitories, there were more rapes on campus, this time out of, of the library. And you wow. know, we, we got very upset and very steamed because there seemed to be no place that was safe on campus. And um, eight of us decided to found a rape crisis center. And we were the first rape crisis center in the country um, that was on a college okay. campus. And um, we helped a lot of people, but we started to get phone calls from um, individuals who were being raped in their homes um, incestuously. And I got interested in that population, and that's the, the group that I did my dissertation work on, is asking women who had experienced incest to talk to me about their experiences. And that's the kind of research that was being done at the time. Um, meanwhile, I found out that I was effective as a counselor. I had um, started in college administration and um, I changed my major to college counseling. Um, so that's, okay. how, that's how I got started. And um, like I said, I did my dissertation research in an area that was not much research. And as a result of that, I somewhat became an instant expert because people were, and a lot of therapists were asking me, you know, what I'd recommend, how to help these women. And um, that issue really started to come to public view in approximately 1978. Um, I graduated in 79, and then I wrote my first book, which was called Healing the Incest Wound, and that got published in 1988. And I didn't, I didn't expect that anybody would read that book. Megan, <laughs> I was really, really, I was really a naive, um, very naive, very new um, professional, and to, mm -hmm. my, to my surprise, it became an immediate classic. Um, and I've wow. since, I've since revised it in uh, 2010, and okay. um, that's been the basis of my work. And what we learned, and other people who were studying um, individuals who had been traumatized as children. Um, we learned that the PTSD diagnosis that was introduced in 1980 that was based on war trauma, it really didn't fit exactly um, what we were seeing with adults who had survived childhood abuse. And that makes, all the, that makes all the sense in the world to me because they were impacted during the course of their development. And when you look at soldiers, they're basically late adolescent or in their adulthood. So they've already been developed. Mm -hmm. And so um, in 1992, Judy Herman wrote a book called Trauma and Recovery, which also is the major classic in the field. And she introduced mm -hmm. 
the a new diagnosis or a new diagnostic formulation called complex PTSD. And unfortunately, that formulation did not get accepted in the major um, um, book, the DSM, having to do with um, diagnoses. And it's always mm-hmm. been sort of like, um, you know, a sidebar to PTSD. And many of us who treat adult survivors and also since then who have continued to study children have really argued that there needs to be a diagnosis of complex PTSD because it's very dissimilar from standard PTSD, although Mm. it contains elements of standard PTSD. I know I'm going on for a a long time, but this this gives you... No, it's fine. I feel like my um, career has really paralleled what's happened in the field, so it's it's a good overview. Anyway, I jumped on Judy's book immediately, and um, because ironically, the same after effects that I had found in my research were what she talked about, only she codified them better than I did. Um, And I started teaching that, you know, these were the issues that really needed to be treated in addition to the PTSD. And then the Mm -hmm. dissociative disorders were being rediscovered at that same time, and what was Uh, discovered is that children who had been abused very chronically often develop dissociative conditions and even dissociative disorders. So I started to get involved in that. Meanwhile, I um, started in private practice. And then in 1990, I got the opportunity to um, co-found an inpatient treatment program for adult survivors and those kinds of things were developing in the country, across the country. And so we developed what was called the Center of Post-Traumatic and Dissociative Disorders Program that ran in Washington, D.C. for 26 years. And I was the clinical and training director for um, 16 years in that program. And we treated thousands of mostly women, but some men. Wow, thousands. Yes. Um, who came inpatient, um, you know, usually in great crisis. These were very um, complicated patients who had a lot of um, what's called comorbidity and who had a lot of serious life issues. And we tried to help them um, with a new treatment model that really took their their histories very seriously and didn't um, previously in mental health it was quite common for um, an adult survivor who complained about abuse to be told that it was her fantasy or, or it was all in her head, or she got stigmatized oh, wow. for her symptoms. And so we you said that was common. That was very common. And they often got misdiagnosed as schizophrenic or bipolar. Um, their PTSD symptoms were not understood and not treated. And not only that, they often got um blamed for them or stigmatized for them. So we were one of the early proponents of what's been come come to be called trauma-informed treatment. I, at the time, called it trauma-referenced treatment, which really understood that clients had a history that created these kinds of adaptations and symptoms that they were struggling with in their life and that we had to understand and help the clients understand what had happened to them. So I did that all that time, and while I was doing that, the um, what so-called recovered memory uh, or false memory controversy erupted, 
I got very involved in that and wrote my second book, which is called Recollections of Sexual Abuse, which really articulated how to help clients when their memories were less than pristine or less than continuous, which is a very common effect um, found in adult survivors of childhood trauma. Um, so mm. it was it, it was challenged and it was dismissed, and those of us treating survivors really tried to push back. And I think we ended up doing so um, somewhat successfully. But many um, therapists were accused of implanting memories of abuse that hadn't occurred. Um, I don't know how mm. an outsider could say they knew that it hadn't occurred uh, any more that they, right. than they knew that it had occurred. Um, but we... You know, we challenged that and said, we're not in the business of suggesting memories. We're in the business of trying to help people with their memories, um, whether they, mm. they're continuous or not. Um, so then after that, um, starting roughly in about 1996, um, I started um, co-editing a series of books with Julian Ford on the topic of complex trauma. And I'm happy to say we now have five books. Um, and wow. The first book has been um, republished as a um, in revised form. It just came out a couple of months ago. And the title is The Treatment of Complex Traumatic Stress Disorders. And it's published by um, Guilford. And it's, it's one of the latest um, contributions on treating this population. And in between all of that, I've been involved in professional activities with the American Psychological Association. We developed a new division called the Trauma Psychology Division, which is very active in doing research and helping psychologists learn how to um, work with survivors. I've been very concerned about the lack of training. I think you and I have talked about that before. Mm -hmm. The lack of training mm -hmm. in most professional curriculum about trauma, and we've been trying to right. turn, turn that around. And then in between, I wrote a, um, a book for uh, addicted survivors that's a little consumer book. It's called It's Not You, It's What Happened to You. And that's available from Amazon. And that's also been a surprise to me that it's been very well received and people are finding it really That's helpful. a surprise. Yeah. That, that's... <laughs> I recommend that book all the time because it's written in such clear terms. It's so comprehensive. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite, uh, favorite go-to resource that I'm always recommending to people. Oh, well, <laughs> so it's funny to hear that you were surprised that it's, great. you know, yeah. so successful. <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. Uh, and I'm really glad that that happened. And I'm just about to revise and update that book. So I will let you okay. know. I will let you know when that happens. That's the, the yes, remainder please. of the year project. Um, and then I also just finished co-editing a book on uh, sexual boundary violations by therapists, um, another major concern of mine, uh, another, and it goes along with something I call um, therapist or, or colleague betrayal, betrayal of the client, but also when someone is in an agency or an organization or even part of a profession, if they get inappropriately involved with a patient, it doesn't just affect the patient, but it has it does have profound effects on patients. But it also affects um, their own family, their own well-being, their own careers, 
and it affects their colleagues and the organization and the profession. So um, we've just finished that book and it's in um, uh, review by the American Psychological Association. It should be published next year. So Okay, so I just wanna highlight the fact that you also said that you're in partial retirement, but it doesn't sound like you're really in retirement. <laughs> I, know. I have a hard time saying no, but I do manage to yeah. keep, keep it relatively at halftime. Um, although recently I have been um, asked to be more involved in forensic cases, um, like priest, okay. abuse, priest abuse cases. Um, and I have taken that on occasionally, not, not constantly but it makes for an interesting um, variation in the work. One thing I like about being a psychologist, as you probably can tell, or a mental health professional, is there are plenty of things that you can do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, uh, in, you don't have to be in private practice all the time. You don't have to be doing direct service right. in the same way to make uh, a contribution. And I was ready to... I don't know if I'll go back to direct service, uh, but I was ready to get out for for a while because I had been there for 35 years. That's a lot of stories that you've heard, a lot of pain, um, (laughs) a lot of abuse. And that that also like impacts how you view the world, too, as a helper. Yes. Well, my this is a bad joke, but one of the things that I always say in my lectures is I've been crispy fried a number of times starting in the rape movement. Um, and absolutely shocked by some of the kinds of things that I've heard and the depravity that I've heard about, the evil. Uh Um, You know, not in every case, but, you know, I I also have a mantra. Every time I think that I've heard it all, the next person who would come in the door would have a story that was equally bad or worse. And so as a Uh consequence of that, I found that I, you know, I burned out a number of times. I was really happy when the topic of vicarious trauma began to be talked about. And my yeah. way of dealing with that, and it, yeah, I just sort of backed into it, is the field is of traumatic stress has grown so dramatically and is so interesting in so many ways that every time I got burned out, I got pulled in intellectually again by a new application, for example, yeah. um, attachment theory, the neurobiology of trauma, the somatic um, mm-hmm. foundations of treatment, all of those have, have really come along for me anyway at times mm-hmm. of burnout for me that have been restorative and sort of given me another mm-hmm. another glimpse. And I'm, I'm very intellectually mm-hmm. curious. So that's been a good mm-hmm. thing for me. Plus I've got... So, so is it almost... Oh, sorry. Is it almost like... like- having the opportunity to look at look at things from a different angle has helped to alleviate um, some of the burnout that you experience from hearing about all the trauma? Yes, absolutely. And then the other thing is, it's very important you know, not to forget, we do this work for a reason. And, you know, I've consistently gotten feedback about how many people have been helped by either a hospital program or my writing or my workshops because I do a lot of professional training also. Um, so that's very satisfying and reinforcing and that keeps me going as well. And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Think, I think we've put together a, a relatively good foundation for doing this work that once a, a therapist you know, gets a handle on it, 
that they can do the work um, confidently and also get a lot of satisfaction out of it, even as they might be vicariously mm -hmm. traumatized. And you know this mm -hmm. from your work that the, um, the trauma-informed care model takes into consideration that the therapist is going to be transformed in some ways, um, right. oftentimes negatively and challenged. And we're certainly seeing that with COVID right now. And that mm -hmm. we, have, we have an imperative um, to monitor that and to take care of ourselves and also to take care of our colleagues. Because what, mm -hmm. I, what I learned with this book on sexual boundary violations is oftentimes our colleagues are hurting in some way and they may not know it. Um, they may turn to their clients to assist them rather than to other people because they have shame or because of other issues. And, you know, that mm -hmm. those kinds of things can lead to boundary violations as well. So we need mm -hmm. to, it takes a village and we need to um, be aware of one another and supporting one another and sometimes confronting one another, frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's switch gears for a minute. Um, so we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story, and every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you've faced? Oh, certainly. Um, well, I, I have already by saying the, the, the original traumatization um, via the experiences I had in grad school, I was not prepared for. They, they really impacted me very severely. And I had to get help from myself at the time. And I was really, really lucky that I got effective treatment, especially for the suicide of the student, um, because I blamed myself because I was on site when he jumped from our building. Um, oh, wow. So that was a major adversity that I overcame. Um, and then um, another is, you know, the whole um, way that society looks at women who are sexually victimized that has, mm -hmm. you know, has, has not changed in, in 40 years. It really hasn't changed very much until the Me Too mm. movement. And I've been so gratified by that. But it's been very frustrating at times, um, you know, yet at the same time, hearing from clients and hearing from outsiders that what we're doing is making a difference even with the societal lack of progress that's been that's kept me going that's been um, very validating another area and this is this is very personally painful to talk about another area of adversity is um, being betrayed by colleagues um, I had two employees actually um, no more than that two employees and an intern um, who became sexually uh, involved with patients, even though mm. I had done and we had done extensive work on warning and having all kinds of policies and procedures in place. And so um, they're going forward and doing that in a setting that is countering sexual abuse has was just um, just took my breath away. And mm -hmm. the way they coped with it um, took my breath away also. So that mm -hmm. was a major um, adversity. Mm -hmm. um, that and you were in an administrative role over these individuals. In two cases, I was the employer. 
and the administrator okay. and also um, clin doing clinical supervision, overseeing oversight supervision. And in one case, um, it was an extern who joined my private practice and she she joined the practice to be um, you know a student with me. And she joined the practice at a time that she was having a sexual uh, relationship with a patient from a previous setting. And she was only with me for about five uh, weeks before that all, it all came out. It all got disclosed. But um, that was the first time that happened. And um, in both cases, um, I nearly lost my private practice the first time. And the second time, um, we nearly lost the hospital program. So that's why I'm saying, oh, wow. you know, there's some very, very serious consequences that um, clients, I mean, therapists who get involved in these situations, you know, may not anticipate or may not even know, you know, the damage that they can do, not only to themselves and the client, but also to other people. Mm. And um, I have coped by having a most wonderful husband who um, supports me no matter what and gives me perspective and and um, you know by by also I, I mean I found um, my beach house my original beach house when um, I was going through the the um, employee situations and really struggling with that um, mm -hmm. and you know that was a way to cope and a way to to restore. Um, and at the time when I left the hospital program, um, that's when I started writing. And the writing was also a way to take care of myself because I knew I had things to say and I still mm -hmm. had, I still had things to teach. Um, and so the writing, um, and my, my writing partner, Dr. Julian Ford has been a real gift to me because we are on the same page. We work the same way. If he said he was going to do something, he'd do it. If I did, I'd do it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we became really good partners. So as opposed to being um, disillusioned with other professionals, he helped me sort of get back to, you know, uh, respectful mm -hmm. professional interactions. So you almost had like this, I don't know, each each side of the, the experience. So on the one hand, you had these um, like betrayal traumas that you mm -hmm. experienced along you yeah. know, as a result of your interactions with colleagues but then you also had like these healthy reparative experiences as well that helped you to I, I don't know that that inspired hope in you that everybody is not necessarily going to traumatize you in that same way <laughs> right. right that's exactly right um and i knew that i knew it intellectually but it really hurts your heart when people mm -hmm. you've trained or people you think you know well um have absolutely just um, going by the wayside, you know, and going down the tube. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, you know, they need understanding also, and they need people to support them because, you know, they're, they're obviously in crisis. But you're exactly right, you know, finding restoration, um, finding your way to get restored. I mean, I really thought after what happened with my two employees, I really thought of losing, of leaving the field. I mean, I was just wow. devastated. Um, and then I decided I didn't know what else I wanted to do, but I decided I still had things to say and I was angry and I used my anger to good effect. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm also thinking about like 
all, all of the different narratives you must have heard and all the different things that you had to absorb as you were providing support to other people. And then in the midst of, of that in your career, also um, having to deal with um, feelings of betrayal and frustration and almost losing everything as a result of coworkers' actions. And then thinking about that in contrast with the beach and in contrast <laughs> um, with your writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of your work and you write with such ease, but also do it in a really relatable way. I'm just um, I'm just taken aback by the contrast between those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And, you know, another thing that I want to point out also is that I am not unique in the field. Um, I have um, had peers um, all along. Um, you, and you know some of them, Sandy Bloom, Lori Perlman, Kay Sack-Whitney, um, Judy Herman. Um, all of us have had really adverse experiences at one time or another. Um, and some of them have also had the situations where, you know, they've been massively betrayed by um, employees or, or colleagues. And so we've been able to um, reach out and help one another. And that has been something that I really want to emphasize in this uh, in this talk, the importance of connection, the importance of having people who have your back or your, um, you know, your well-being um, in, their, in their sites and how important it is to reach out and to have a support system and not be isolated mm-hmm. because you can get so disillusioned and so bitter. Um, And I've also seen that end of things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the negative outcome that we don't want to have. Right, right. So I can't say enough about my my peer colleagues and, and, um, you know, um, people who've had similar kinds of experiences. We've been able to co-support one another and you know, as much as I hate to hear that somebody else had the experience, it's also normalizing that, geez, it wasn't just mm. me. Because right. when I think about it, you know, it's easy to get into why the heck did all of these things happen to me? Um, right. It wasn't just me. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's some of the things about traumatization that we didn't know when we started. Mm. And then thinking thinking about um, Judith Herman's book, and then I'm also thinking about Judith Jordan and relational yeah. theory, um, mm-hmm. thinking about uh, how trauma creates all these different disconnections. Um, and, and there's like kind of this double-edged sword. Like we, we often experience trauma within the context of relationships and relationships can harm mm-hmm. us. But then mm-hmm. on the other hand, relationships, healthy relationships can also help us heal. And I'm kind of hearing that theme and what you're expressing now, too. Yeah. Actually, um, there's a wonderful series of um, training materials that uh, Lori Perlman and Kay Sack-Whitney and their team put together. You've probably seen it as a curriculum. It's called um, Risking Connection. And okay. I, I think that title is brilliant because in doing this work and connecting with anybody who's been traumatized, we risk connection because right. we will lose something, but we also will gain something if it if it goes right. well. And the same mm-hmm. thing, the same thing for clients. You know, mm-hmm. they're risking connection with us, and they enter often with no trust whatsoever. And we have to earn their trust. And once they learn about the trustworthiness of 
human beings, then they can change. So, yes, mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. And a very, mm-hmm. very, thank you for bringing up Judith Jordan. It's a very important component. That's another area that I um, I mentioned attachment and, and um, neurosciences, but the relational orientation is one that I've always believed in, and I'm just thrilled that that's taken off the way it has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you share a few positive moments or turning points in your narrative? Well, when we opened our hospital program, <laughs> it was very mm-hmm. exciting um, that we had that. Um, the fact that it lasted 26 years, it, yeah. just, it just closed um about a year and a half ago, but it has resurrected as a new program called Trauma okay. Sky, and it's at Dominion Hospital in Falls Church, Virginia. So mm-hmm. it it's continued, and it means that people are really dedicated to, to doing the work. I'm, I'm not involved any longer, but I'm just thrilled that that work continues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of pride in um, individuals that I have helped train who've gone on and, and had um, careers in this field um, and mm-hmm. have been able to influence. So I feel really good about that. And also um, clients in aggregate, but also individuals. One of my favorite moments is a male client who, after a very, very intensive session, looked up at me and he said, thank you for helping me to become a person. And he had had always seen himself as being a thing um, for other people to use and abuse. And, you know, it's moments like that 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 really Mm -hmm. grab you. Mm-hmm. That must have been an incredible feeling um, to know that you were a part of helping support someone like, I guess, come back to a place uh, where they're able to acknowledge and accept their humanity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And no longer, so you, being, no longer being an objective thing. To right, be, to right. Be used and abused. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself in the future? No, that's that's a good question. <laughs> I'm I'm still struggling with that. Um, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, um, and so um, and neither is my husband. So you know we're trying to juggle things, and actually COVID has um, you know slowed us down um, to make us really look at you know what do we want to do or what do we not want to do. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I will continue to be semi-retired probably for five more years or so, but it really depends on our health, um, you know, and whether travel opens up again the way it used to be. Um, I, I don't at all feature getting on an airplane right now, but okay. know, there are places I want to go to. Um, so it's, it's an open question. I also have... Um, and, and uh, my mother used to rail at me about this. Um, I also have a couple more books in me. So okay. I expect that I'll be doing that for the next few years also. Okay. Your mom encouraged you with it or she said you needed to stop? <laughs> my, mother was, <laughs> my mother was very uh, proud of me and I call her the therapist therapist because she used to keep me going. But every time... Uh-huh. I'd say I was starting another book. She had an expletive that she used for me <laughs> because she knew, you know, how hard the work was when I was going along doing those things. 
But mm. that said, she was my strongest supporter um, next to Tom. Okay. So I, I can't argue with about that. Okay. It's got to be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so are, you've already recommended a lot of different um, potential resources that listeners can um, check out. Are there any additional um, resources that are your favorites that you feel have really been life-changing or enlightening for you? Um, some other books that I would recommend are um, um, Lori Perlman and Kasek Whitney's book on um, countertransference and the treatment of incest. Um, I um, Bessel van der Kolk's book, um, his more re- most recent book, um, The Body Keeps the Score, which is an interesting mm-hmm. telling of his story and the development of the field. Um, but also his original books on psychological trauma, which were, um, you know, very, very descriptive. There's a lot of literature uh, that has come out of the National Center for PTSD and a lot of their staff that is more on uh, what, what we're calling classic PTSD and its treatment. I'd recommend those. Um and then there were a lot of um, treatment books, and it really would depend on anybody who's listening what their orientation is, because now there's, there are very many treatments, and there is more research um, providing um, a more nuanced evidence base and foundation um, than there was before, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to share with our audience? Hmm. Um, Yes, to push for um, trauma-informed care across um, professions and in in our society. And there's some very important work that's going on. I know you're a member of CTIP, which is the Coalition for Trauma-Informed What? Um, policy and practice. Policy and practice. Um, that work is is critically important. Um, I also think um, pushing for trauma informed training across all professions, and I believe starting at the undergraduate or even lower um, curriculum level, because trauma. Mm-hmm. We've learned that trauma is such an important component of human experience, and for example. Right many people are being traumatized by the COVID situation right now. Um, It doesn't mean that you're going to develop PTSD because you've been traumatized, but you may have some reactions and responses that are related to that. And some people certainly will have pure PTSD or complex PTSD because this is a repetitive trauma. So more are professionals across the board and the more society knows about these things, the better they're going to be able to manage. And awareness and, and getting educated are crucially important. So those kinds of things I really would push as well. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us. And um, we really appreciate checking out these additional resources and continuing to learn more about trauma. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to to talk about things and to give my to give my opinion. Mm-hmm, absolutely.